Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwald. And I'm Eliana Johnson. Welcome to L Inkstained Retros, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Eliana Johnson, you are not here with me in the basement of the American Enterprise Institute, the seat of all power. I missed the omelet bar, which I'm well, upset about. Let me, you, let me tell you, I didn't. <laughs> I, I hit it real upset. hard. I ordered such a good omelet that the omelet chef came out afterwards to make sure that I, I had enjoyed it. And I had, it was, that's, that's, that's the what did new you get in there? forging here. That's right. <laughs> what did you get in it? Chorizo and lots of cheese. Oh, I knew there was going to be some kind of sausage. Oh, they got it all. They got it all. And you know what else is great? They didn't label the bacon. They had turkey sausage and something else. And then the bacon, they didn't label the bacon because bacon has magical evaporative powers along with. What do you mean uh, label the bacon? So it, one thing said like, this has, you know, cheesy floof puffs in it. And this has turkey sausage. And there was no label on the bacon one. Because if you label the bacon one, what will happen? It'll be like gas prices. There'll be a run on the bacon. Everybody will just sprint in and take all the bacon. And then there'll be no bacon. So they just put it over there knowing that people will seek it out. That like truffle pigs, we will find the bacon. Uh, but you had chorizo. Well, I had chorizo. You think I didn't have a meat on the side? You think I just had the meat in? I, I got it. <laughs> you got to have a side meat. Apex of keto. The, this is You're like the right model now. keto patient. No, this is just apex of being fat, fat, fatty. Uh, so how's I, keto going? How's keto going? Now, after, now the book's out. Like now I have to, now I have to yearn to live to see my children get married. Like I have okay. to like, now I have to make a decision like, okay, it's time. It's serious. We've got to get back. When you break a sweat, when you're uh, tying your shoe in an airport, you're like, hmm, okay, all right. So we've let, it, <laughs> we've let we've let it we've let ourselves get into trouble yet again, Christopher. Let okay. get into trouble yet again. I have an admission to make. Okay, we we talked about you and I talked about doing for me like a postpartum weigh in on the podcast every week to <laughs> I our listeners I in. To be, well, you to were be like, clear, you to, want to do it, you know, that's to cool. any woman listening to, to any woman listening. Let's be clear. I me, I did not suggest this, nor do I support it in any way. OK, I suggested it as yeah. like motivation for myself. And at the the last few days of my pregnancy, I was walking on the treadmill at I mean, I could not get to three miles an hour. It was it was difficult. And. I have to admit, I am eight weeks postpartum as of Monday, so I'm past eight weeks postpartum, and I have not weighed myself. So I don't know that we're going to be on the you know weekly weigh-in band. Samantha, Samantha cannot weigh in because we have we're in a weird microphone recording situation, but she would back me up. You look, it would be impossible to have discerned that you had been pregnant, right? Oh. Uh. Tell me more, guys. Tell me more. It's, Samantha, it's, let's break the weird back <laughs> situation and shower me with praise. Um, but but but, but very, it was it was not it was it was arresting to see you because it was like, wait, I know you had a baby. I sent flowers. I saw a picture. I know it's true. 
but it, you you could not tell it from guys. The I just, just blew this. them over. Well, I anyways, it hasn't happened, and we're probably not going to do it. My husband got so annoyed at me. He's like, "Get rid of the freaking scale! You are crazy, and I can't hear this anymore." So. So anyways, I'm not on keto or anything, but the chorizo omelet sounds delicious. Chorizo omelet is delicious. That, that, And we're back in agreement. We're back in agreement, <laughs> yes. Um, speaking of other things we're back in agreement about. Uh, the front page item was so obvious this week. This was like the, I don't know, the what was like the heavyweight boxing match, like Muhammad Ali versus, yeah, I don't George know. George Foreman. George Foreman, the Taylor Lorenz versus Maggie Haberman Twitter fight that everyone tuned in for, except for, okay, for that is not Ali versus Foreman. That is like Muhammad Ali versus a fly or like a, you're, a you're fly looking, or an The hat. analogy you're looking for here is Mike Tyson versus uh, what was his name oh he it was the the worst palooka of all time white guy write us at at write us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com if you know the name of the white dude who had mike tyson exploded in like 33 seconds but anyway that that is the nature of the fight between well first <laughs> will you please describe the character is it galata maybe galata sam's I, I turning that around. is Peter McNeely was very bad, but that's not the one I was thinking. Anyway, for the for the people who, like me, do not go on Twitter, who are the players? We know Maggie Haber Haberman is the senior White House correspondent for the New York Times. Who is Taylor Lorenz? And Relentless reporter. And I, I said this on Twitter, but I should have said it in our interview with Ben Smith when I was talking to Ben Smith about it was before I, I went. I left Politico to go to the free beacon. And I said to Ben, like, Hey, what should I do next? I don't know. I'm thinking about making a move. And he said, you should do something totally unexpected, go somewhere. No one would ever expect you to go, which is kind of what I ended up doing. But he said, do not go to the New York times because Maggie's there. And Maggie is the best reporter in the country. And she's way better than you are. And she will have your head on a pike. And like, she's just better than you are. And he was totally right. So Maggie's really great reporter. And Taylor Lorenz is a reporter who's not a really what did great she, reporter. What did she cover? She covers like teenage influencers. <laughs> and, but that's I'm like, so, I mean, I'm sorry. there's a way to, there's a way to cover that. But essentially she's garnered a big online following and her, she has this whole thing about if you're a reporter, you need to have a brand, which is all true enough, you know, like these things have got, that's why people can go have Substacks. but her brand is basically being on Twitter all the time and picking fights with people and being so constantly she, offended and aggrieved. I'm sorry to interrupt. So she had been, she is no longer at the New York Times, is that she right? Ju she just left the New York Times to go to the Washington Post. Now, as a case oh, study of what- Perfect, <laughs> she's going- Head in the right direction. Just left the Times and, to go to the Post. She and Felicia Sanmez can yes. take it. They can, yes. They, they and can they, are the fir they are the inaugural members of the Ink Stained Wretches Looney Bin. The oh, official Ink Stained no. Wretches Looney Bin. I, I, will not, I will not sanction yeah, any Looney Bin. It's, it's my, my Looney Bin. But okay, anyways, so I just want to, to describe what the Taylor Lorenz 
Brandis, she gets in this fight with Maggie, which which we'll get into, but she tweets the this is this is what her brand is. She's very upset that Politico picks up on her fight and she says it Politico's headline is journalist heavyweights to Taylor Lorenz. Sit down. And she so, tweets I, I'm gonna interrupt one more time. She had previous beef with Haberman, right? She like, did. She, she did. Okay. So and get, we, we can get into back. that. Well, we can get into that, but her brand is tweeting. I'm more of a heavyweight than half the people weighing in on my controversy and being told to sit down. The piece's takeaway is Lorenz will have to get used to the pushback in her own industry. And she tweets, no, legacy media types will have to get with the times or they will have to get used to pushback from the growing voices of people who want a more equal and fair system for all workers. And then Politico linked to a free beacon article that summarized in a jokey way, like this ridiculous controversy that she ginned up. And she says, the fact that Politico ends by linking to free beacon article, a website that is continually implied that I am a child predator. And <laughs> the beacon has covered Taylor Lorenz by joking that she covers tweens and teenagers mm -hmm. and she's written that, that she goes to their birthday parties and stuff which she has so we <laughs> joke that like you know she predates on children and she like takes it totally seriously anyhow this is her brand like being aggrieved and picking fights with her so workers so what's she fighting so what was her first fight with haberman about what is this round so of she about? went what's in a point? she went in a new york times slack channel and I don't actually know what she was talking about, but she called Maggie a bitch and said that what? she's crazy. And yes. And so in front she of then, people, she called her a bitch. Well, in front of people. I mean, she went and she called, she did it in the Slack channel. Oh my gosh. So she then in exit interviews basically said reporters need to have a brand and the New York Times limits on having that brand she said the following the new york times has fenced her in and dimmed her star and hold on i just want to get the exact quote i think the times is an incredible institution but mainstream media organizations have kind of struggled to figure out how they deal with talent like her and she says quote i think i use the internet as a modern internet person these are tensions that are going to play out in any legacy newsroom in different ways. The Times, she said, will, quote, hopefully, you know, evolve in their ways. Okay, Chris. Wow. And yes, she, your thoughts. And so she, A penny for your she, thoughts. And she covers, you say, social media. Influencers. 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 That is her beat. So she has like a celebrity beat. She covers... TikTok so she a, influencers. and So she has a fake, so she has a fake beat that was made up in a meeting, maybe there was a consultant in the meeting where somebody's like, we should have some. I think covered. the beat is fine. I think well, no, no, she, no, no, no. it I, is. I, I'm not, I'm not here to debate whether or not they should have it, but I I'm telling you the reason they do have it is that somebody my age was like, well, uh, yeah, maybe we'll get somebody on the TikToks. We'll have them out there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We'll have them, yeah, that, that, that sounds great. I, 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 my, my, my daughter's on the TikToks and she's really <laughs> interested in it. So she has this this made up this, this fluff beat. It's celebrity news, basically. Yeah, and she's and like, you know, who's a bitch? The best White, White, House, correspondent White House correspondent. And like, for where, where? She's so, a bitch. So so she has this. She has this loggerheads with Haberman. It spills 
publicly, and this was like last year, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then it resurfaces when she's when people start smacking her down for saying it's cringy that like for, for saying it's it's cringy to do exit interviews by saying like the New York times really limits my brand. And Maggie got on Twitter and said, you know, it's cringy that there's a war going on and all some reporters can talk about is their brand. Yeah. I, I just, and then Taylor smacked back and said, Oh, Maggie, you know, a thing or two about having a brand, you know, we both have brands when it, when the reality is yes, Maggie's, brand is being a badass reporter well, yes they do both have brands taylor's brand is going oh the washington free beacon called me a predator well the the other thing is whenever i i know that there are people have there there are there have been fair criticisms of maggie haberman's coverage at certain points i so i'm not going to pretend like she is perfect in every way but what she has done she's perfect spent, in every way chris she's perfect just she, <laughs> what she Love has you, done maggie is spent decades building a career and a reputation. She's based on her like reporting. For, exactly. And I think that the thing is the Taylor Lorenzes of the world think that they are new, that there has never been anyone like them before. But in fact, cable news, when cable news was new, the Dana Milbanks of the world or whomever who were going to go on cable news all the time and have a, a, a super hot hit on hardball or whatever they said to the people before that oh you guys don't get it uh, cable news is where it's at and the people before that you know it this this is just a cycle that repeats and the arrogance of youth does not allow some people who are immature like this woman obviously is to yeah, she's have... 40 but you wouldn't know it no way Oh, she's my oh, age, so she's in her late thirties. This woman, I, is, you guys get you got to consult our show notes because we have all the Twitter, the Twitter Samantha threads, says, and Samantha says that this woman who is talking about her brand and covers and covers social media influencers is thirty-seven years old. Says Samantha, yeah, she's exactly my age. That is preposterous. Okay, that, I, before I kept thinking, I'm sorry. Throughout this discussion, I've been like. So she's like out of college. She's like 25. She's like trying to figure things out. So she's a grown woman. And yeah. She covers, and, she, and she covers the New York Times needs needs her two wow. cents on how to evolve to, you know, better accommodate oh, people like you her. Oh, you know who she is? Regular reporter. I'm a cool reporter. I'm different than the other reporters. I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. So that's who she is. Okay. Got it. Wow. That is... That that is the coup de grace. Really, though, consult our show notes because we have an incredible uh, profile. One of these profiles that sparked the Twitter food fights uh, by Sean McCreesh in New York Magazine. It is a case study. This is like you know meta meta because the case study in how to write a really really nasty knife twisting profile. He interviewed Taylor Lorenz <laughs> and. It is nasty and kudos to Sean. This should have been my favorite item. And I was going to say. He says that the spat, quote, began with Lorenz's exit interview comments to Charlotte Klein and Vanity Fair and later to Insider about journalists need to be free to be brands and about the time somehow getting in the way of that. And then he writes, the crux of her complaining is that the fusty newspaper fenced her in, dimmed her star. 
Never mind that she is arguably TikTok famous only because she was Times famous. The paper ran her style stories on the front page, put her on its television show and its flagship podcast, and granted her book leave. Everything you're listening to is a Times property, protests Lorenz, who won't be confined to such provincial backwaters. <laughs> it's beautiful. That's a that's a very solid burn. So link well, in show I, notes. I, I hate to be this way, and I really will release my Washington Post obsession at some point, but it's become a tick for me. And she she is going to the right place, is all I can say. Oh yeah, Taylor both Lorenz. members in our in our loony bin are Washington. Not Post. our loony bin. My loony bin, our post journalist. Loony. I, dis- yes. I, I, I disavow. Chris, word. it's not stigmatizing. Like if she were actually getting help, she wouldn't be well doing Felicia this stuff Sanmez and there would be is. no stigma. Felicia Sanmez is. And I just don't like that word. So I'm going to be, I, as, 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 the, as the article said, I'm going to be fussy about it. Okay. I'm going to be, I'm going to, have fun You're gonna build and your enjoy. Brand. That is what this is, podcast is for. Exactly. You're going to build your brand. Out Entertainment. Yes. All right. So speaking of the Washington yes, Post. Speaking of. This is a good, this is a, this is a, a kind of an interesting question because I'm not exactly sure where I come down on this. So the Post has a series, which I don't like, which is called Behind the Story, which is how did we get this amazing story? Now, normally I don't care. Or almost always, I don't care because that should be basically in the story. Here, you want to talk about hypocritical on a podcast about journalism. I was uh, thinking that actually. I'm going to criticize journalism about journalism, but here we go. The w- this is a niche podcast for people who really care about this stuff, and I get it. And I don't begrudge the post doing some deeper whatever, but the concept of having a brand that is about us, like here are stories about us I don't like. And I think that it creates uh, bad. So what's the headline? I think it creates bad incentives. But here's the headline, how three Washington Post journalists are covering Ukraine on the ground. I found the, I found the story interesting and I, I, I have such an appetite for Ukraine coverage and I actually found it interesting. So I think it's the exception. I don't like the series, but I think it's the exception. What do you think? I did not read the story, so I did not find it interesting. And my take is that <laughs> you didn't find, but you didn't find it not interesting either. You just didn't. Uh, find it. Well, I was not interested in like how the Washington Post journalists are covering the war in Ukraine. I'm interested in the what's going on in the war in Ukraine. And my, I guess, my bounce on this was, I want to know. It's too. It's too soon. A lot of these, like how we got the story, stories are interesting. But like, I want, I guess I'd be interested in this story in like a year, you know, a long time after this wraps up, you're then interested in how did, how, how was the story told? And I think Mm -hmm. actually a lot of podcasts are that I just listened to a podcast, a wall street journal podcast about Enron. And so we're like two decades out from the Enron story and it's the wall street journal reporters who broke the Enron news and they're talking about how they got the story and retelling the story in doing that. But they talk about the people who came to them and it's like, yeah, now I care about how they got the story and how it all came together and so on. Like 20 years later, but you know, 20 years ago when the Enron fraud was breaking, you weren't like, Oh, and 
you know, tell us about you guys and how you were getting the story. Like you just want the news. So, so yes. And war correspondent is, so when, when you're in a war zone, there's a little something different. There's, you know, the Ernie Pyle, who else? Why am I drawing a blank on his name? But anyway, writing color from the front lines is a venerable and good thing because you experiencing something totally foreign to you through the eyes of the journal. And so it can obviously go off the rails very quickly, right? And it can turn into bad, it can, it can become bad news. But what Cronkite and I already mentioned Ernie Pyle, but Ed Moreau, what those reporters did during the second world war about the, their, and by the way, can we put a permanent ban on the phrase lived experience? It is an experience, the lived part of it. So I guess this that is, is the, this is the fight I, I have out. with, this is the fight I have with beacon reporters where they say something is happening currently or presently like guys, if it's happening, Yes. Then it's happening currently. Then it for then it for sure is. Yes, killing uh, me. Weeding out the redundancies where people are trying to sound smarter. Uh, it's like just have confidence in your writing and go do it. Anyway, the it, I I do think that there's something good about getting people there, and I also think that if we expect newspapers to survive, and we expect newspapers to do what we need them to do. They have to point out their strengths. And one of the strengths that the Washington Post has. Show, so don't tell, Chris. I agree. I agree. But I think there's enough room in a paper, especially in a story where you have. Yeah, next the, year. I, I I don't disagree with you, but I, I do think that there is merit in showing what for your subscribers. This is what you're getting. We are putting people in the field. This is who it is. So I think in, I, I think under these circumstances, I give it a pass. Mm. I just, I give it indifference too soon, too soon, <laughs> which is, which is, uh, uh, indifference, which is like the, worse than worse yeah. than nothing, there Wor you go. worse than objecting to it. Mm -hmm. Speaking also of the Washington post, my favorite news alert, the Washington post. Oh, this was alert. so funny. Washington post news alerts are magnificent. Here's, and here you go. Here it is. Biden administration moves to cut smog forming pollution from heavy trucks. Okay. Well, okay. Tell me more about that. And it says that they're going to save the lives of 18,000 children and however many more asthmatic instances or whatever through the reduction of these emissions from diesel engines. And first question, why isn't the Biden administration going to save all the children? They're going to just save these 18,000 kids and then they're going to let all the other kids die. Hey, Washington Post, why don't you point out all the kids that Joe Biden's murdering by not shutting down all diesel emissions? Also not mentioned anywhere in the alert is that I paid $4.50 for a gallon of gasoline. Inflation is totally out of control. And we are getting, we are closing in on a shooting war with a nuclear power around that is fought substantially around the question of energy and access to energy. The idea that the Biden administration would increase fuel prices on trucks that are shipping stuff right now is crazy, right? Because you could also say how many kids. So if you're going to use these kind of made up statistics about how many, how many lives this is going to save, 
how many lives will be like, we could find somebody to do an equally ridiculous uh, bit of math to say, well, this is how many lives will be lost because of poverty, because of higher fuel prices. And this is how many lives will be lost because the, because of supply chain disruptions and suicides. And we could just come, we could come up with fake numbers like this all day. How tone deaf that when America, the, the, the big questions facing America today are about Russia, the gas station masquerading as a sovereign state, energy prices in the United States, inflation, the whole thing. And it just says they're going to save 18,000 lives. And the and, and there is a great line in there that's like, the, the only question is people want more. Environmentalists say it's not enough. And you just, you realize that when it comes to climate change issues and environmental issues, the Washington Post is has become irredeemably stupid. And every other major newspaper. Uh, the po- Let's I got not it. single I got out the post. I got, the the New York Times does some Lulus. Uh, we 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 will all remember. How, is your child summer camp preparing for climate change? I'm not saying <laughs> that that was that was great. I'm not I'm not saying that the New York Times is clean on this. I'm just saying the Post, which I don't know whether they still have a branded section where they partner with Rolex about climate change stories. The the Wapo Rolex branded oh, content so about climate solutions, where it's like. The world's going to end, but you can count down the seconds on your Oyster Perpetual, uh, $32,000 <laughs> at your closest jeweler. I think that the, po- the Post is dumb on this in a way that is is special and more. Well, I loved your the New York Times upshot that you texted me. This is what I thought you were going to do first. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the grammar doozy um, was <laughs> wonderful. So please say it. You got to put it out there. So, Chris text me this was like right after we wrapped the last podcast the the alert he gets from the times upshot colon most texas women find way around abortion law law and then he says that's a lot of abortions (laughs) (laughs) or but then i realized that the headline was actually accurate most texas women do find their way around the abortion law by either not becoming pregnant or by having babies so they are finding their way around the law i suppose in that way but I know that this was just an error based on space. So I don't want to pick on them too much, but I do folks... want to pick on them because I'm, a, it's funny. I, I'm like an intuitive grammar person. I know when something's wrong, but I can't tell you like what the rule it's violating is, but this made me laugh. Well, and, and you know, this better than as well as anybody, which is it's easy to make a mistake on a headline. You can read a headline 50 times. Look at it, look at it, look at it, and still it goes out wrong. I'm sure you've had the experience where you're like, yep, this is good. We're good to go. And then you send it out. And then Samantha Goldstein sends you a text that is like, uh, missing word, question mark. You're like, ah, no. Or maybe you never make a mistake. It's possible you do not make a mistake because you're pretty good. Perfect. So that's never happened to me. <laughs> Just kidding. No, plenty of typos, usually not in headlines, but in uh, in copy for sure. People don't understand when you're reading your own stuff, yeah. People don't understand how hard good copy editing really is. You need multiple layers. It's, it's expensive, right? You, the, you need multiple layers. It has, it has to be read by at least two people at a minimum after the reporter is done with it. It's just to have two sets of eyes. And you need people. And it's also not a job that you can just give to uh, some hipster doofus. You need a person who has been a reporter, has experience. Taylor Lorenz cannot copy it. 
Well, she's 37. I would have her on. I'd have her working rim by now. I would, if I, if, if she worked for, if she worked in my newsroom, she would definitely uh, be on the slug line right now and perhaps learning some humility. But anyway, the, it's, it's very hard to do. And a lot of places don't do it anymore at all. So that is one of the alarming things is that copy editing and clean copy is not prized, but no one. No, is and there's, there's like no glory in, in the job. Right. And no, but nobody is going to take seriously. I shouldn't say nobody tragically, but if you want to be taken seriously, you got to have clean copy. Yeah. As a publication. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. It's, it's, it is, it is not an afterthought. It is a, it is a first thing. Chris, final item on our front page may hit a little close to home for you. Smartmatic case against Fox news. Most of the case gets, green light from uh, a judge. So this goes back to election evening 2020, where Smartmatic, one of these election technology companies, is suing Fox News for $2.7 billion for defamation. And they named three Fox News personalities. It was Janine Pirro, Lou Dobbs, and who was the third? Maria Bartiromo. Maria Bartiromo, right. So they threw out the case against Janine Pirro, but the judge ruled that the cases against Lou Dobbs and Maria Bartiromo could move forward. And And so the quote from the judge was as follows. At a minimum, Fox News turned a blind eye to a litany of outrageous claims about plaintiffs, plaintiffs being the Smartmatic, unprecedented in the history of American elections, so inherent, so inherently improbable that it evinced a reckless disregard for the truth. So Fox News is appealing this, but obviously they wanted to avoid getting embroiled really deep in these lawsuits because that would lead to discovery and it would show, I mean, we assume, right, if Fox goes into discovery with Smartmatics, it would show what the company really thought about and senior executives and hosts really thought about these claims, if they actually believed them or if they knew them to be false and were saying them for ratings. We, we don't know, but we assume. And I'm guessing, you know, if these things go forward, they'll settle. Well, I, uh, did we talk, did we talk about the omelet bar? Oh yeah. Okay. I am not going to talk about this because I worked uh, at Fox at the time at the, at, at the time referred to in these lawsuits. So I'm just going to take one step back away from the microphone and, and say no comment. Can I just ask you something that yeah. I actually don't know the answer to? This is obviously bad for Fox and they also have, they have, there's a second lawsuit in the billions of dollars range from another election from technology Dominion, from Dominion. company, Dominion yeah, yeah, Voting. Yeah. Okay. In terms of settling, can the company afford a settlement in the in the yes. billions range? Okay. So. Well, well, here, here's what we know about the Murdochs and News Corp. They have settled huge, massive lawsuits in the past. Remember, these are people who survived getting caught hacking into the phones of dead people and, and settled that lawsuit. So they have settled really big lawsuits before I Okay, so that seems like a fair guess as to where this could shake out, but it's a guess. I, I assume that these the that the plaintiffs here, that their assumption is that 
Fox does not want to go, as you say, into discovery. Yeah. And they don't want that to happen and that it will be worth hundreds of millions of dollars to prevent popping the top on Fox Fox's editorial process and that it will be worth a lot of money to them. That is, I, I assume that's there. You know what, though? If I was just a really evil bastard, I would... <clears throat> I would just not settle and assume I would win the lawsuit because it would be so devastating and I would like go for gold if I were these companies. Well, but it's suing, but that's what big companies and the Murdochs are very experienced at this. They raise the opportunity cost. So we'll appeal this, we'll appeal that, we'll triple appeal that. We'll Right, and it here. takes like 15 years, right? We'll countersue, we'll just, we will yeah. grind you down over time. That, yeah. And, and that, that is how, unfortunately, the American tort system tends to work, yeah. which is, it is a battle of attrition to see who has- Yeah, and it like audience. incentivizes you to settle. Yes, exactly. All right, it is time for Obsessions. Chris? I love, love, love my obsession, but you go first. I think you're good. I think you are double obsessioning this week, Taylor Loren. I, I totally am double obsessioning. So my obsession, and this is because I live in the District of Columbia and was caught in, as a result of a mislaid baseball practice bag, spent about an hour and 20 minutes in traffic surrounding the ice road truckers or the freedom truckers or whatever the trucker convoy is that they shut down interstate 395 through dc and currently the truckers delegation which is from california and mostly points west it seems like i don't know they're in maryland they've, they've got a staging base in maryland and they're making like strikes against the heart of the city to try to shut down the district and close off the beltway and here is what I realized this morning as I looked for news coverage before I was dropped because I have a, to catch a plane today and I have to uh, and I had to drive over to work during rush hour was what's going on and the coverage of the truckers. I realized what it is. It's the caravan that Fox and the right wing used to cover, but it's for the left. Right. So for Fox every time or and oh, my God, that, that yeah. is a good point. So for Fox and like Fox Light, the 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 caravan, the 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 brown, the, you know, brown people in a serpentine movement coming toward the United States, uh, approaching our southern border. Speaking of Lou Dobbs, you know, <laughs> talking talking about this thing, which of course is never going to affect most. Like it's going to affect very few Americans, and then scenes from the southern border and all this stuff. And I realized that for left media and mainstream media, the truckers are that. Where are the truckers? What are the truckers doing? Are the truckers lying in wait or whatever? Now, I'm not saying that I should also state from the top that I have an equal amount of sympathy for Black Lives Matter protesters who shut down interstates that I do for anti-vaccine people, or anti-vaccine mandate people who shut down interstates. There's no room for it. You cost people's lives. You cost people their jobs. You cost people money. And also, I will point out with these truckers, are they coming to thank the Supreme Court for doing their job inside divided divided powers? Are they going to go to Neil Gorsuch's house and bring him some avocados from California to thank him <laughs> for his vote to block Biden's vaccine mandate? I don't know. But anyway, the obsession with the truckers for mainstream media 
is very much like the caravan. It is a it is a free floating menace, and it is a way to do it. And then what they do, and this is really how this stuff so often works. Oh, which actually, which I want to flip back to really quick because this does tie in. So Robert Costa, who is now at CBS. Wait, wait, wait. I, so really Go quick. Ahead. Yeah. I really like that obsession because I, granted, I am home with a newborn, mm-hmm. but I also live in the district and I would have had no idea that these people were here. Right. Right, right, right. But the, I have been out and driving around, but honestly would have had no clue. So uh, I'd be, lest I forget, Robert Costa, who now, who was formerly your colleague at National Review and then was at the Washington Post and I guess is now at CBS News, uh, wrote this piece about AEI's gathering at Sea Island that was the, the World Forum at uh, Sea Island. Mm-hmm. And he wrote this piece that was so preposterously preposterous. And he, Donald Trump is, guess who's not attending? Donald Trump is not attending. Really? Has he ever attended before? No? Oh, okay. Well, would it be normal for him? No, it wouldn't be. That's not, it's- it, Is AEI it, a pro-Trump organization? Has it ever been? Well, but, but, but more than that, it's like the degree to which reporters frame yeah. these things for artificial conflict. This is a nerd herd at a nice <laughs> hotel that are going to talk about education policy. It's going to be super nerdy. I can promise you that. And the idea that this is like a snub for Trump and what does it mean? And my favorite was, I just have to, I have to call this one out because it was so bad, where Costa writes, Jonah Goldberg is on the, he, somebody gave him a program or whatever. And he said, Jonah Goldberg, who recently quit Fox News over January, blah, blah, blah. He will be presenting several times. I don't know, maybe because Jonah Goldberg started at AEI when the earth cooled, maybe because he as a 20 year old, what, what is it, a policy Chris. gnome at AEI? Give me a break. Uh, okay, what's your obsession, lady? My obsession is Matt Rosenberg of the New York Times caught on tape telling us what he really thinks about the January 6th riot at the Capitol or the actual peril posed to journalists covering it and what he thinks of some of his colleagues at the New York Times. And this was a Project Veritas sting, which Chris, I know you have some strong opinions about. Is this one of, I, I have not watched the video and we should say Matt Rosenberg is, he won, I know he won a Pulitzer Prize. He's a big, he's, he is a, he, he's a big wheel, right? He's, yes. he's not surprised. Yes. And this is on video, so it definitely is him. Um, so, I, so, the you know, question, I, so the so so Project him. Veritas does a thing. So the first question is: Is it in a bar, or does it take place around? It looks like no, no. It looks like it's in a bar, and I assume. I mean, it, it's undercover. I assume. I don't know, but I assume it was a very attractive woman he was talking to. I'm just, yeah, the, yes, the Project Veritas is so scummy. And but he fell for the scummy. He, I assume I, they sent some super hot woman to try to get this out of him, and he fell for it. Well, he fell for it, but I, I guess here's what I would say. Tricking people, we should always remember Project Veritas, these are the people who got caught impersonating a telephone repairman to break into Mary Landrew's district office yes. to hack their They went. To, he went to jail, right? Yeah, des- deservedly so. Yeah. Uh, what they do is wrong. What they do is not. And we've talked about them before. 
You're really they, bearing the lead of this, of my obsession. They are, they, we have, I have defended their right to practice journalism. And we remember we were talking about Joe Biden's daughter's diary and all of that stuff. Yeah. And as, as we talked guys, about I'm, before, I'm literally shopping for shoes as Chris does his thing on Project Veritas. As, as we, as we have talked about before, their right to practice journalism is the same as every citizen's and that, but they are not journalists. And if you go undercover in a bar where people are drinking and have a hidden camera and coax a person in edited tape to say things that you can then take out of context and say, see, and the, 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 their takeaway quote was that FBI informants that, that uh, the January 6th writer that, you know, was full of or had a bunch of FBI informants in it. Well, we already kind of know that because- No, 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 you haven't even watched the video. Can I, well, you're hijacking my obsession. All right, well, stop shopping for shoes. Okay, so I watched the video. It's pretty funny. If, Matt, if you're listening, if it was taken out of context, if you didn't really say it, like, I totally want to hear it. We'll let you know if Matt's, I haven't seen a response from him to this. I'm like waiting for him to be fired from the Times, but he basically says that the- so let, let's play the clips. Let's play the clips and you guys can listen for yourselves. Like, I mean, all these colleagues who are in the building, I'm like, oh my God, this is so scary. I'm like, oh, f*** Is that like, really the vibe, man? From them. I'm like, come yeah. on. Like, it's not the kind of place I can sit tell somebody to man up, but I kind of want to. You're like, dude, come on. Like, you were not in any danger. Got an Zola, got an Adam, got a bunch of photographers. Then there were people inside the Capitol. Yeah, who was inside? Little, little dweebs. They keep going on about their trauma. I'm like, guys, shut the f and up. I guess it was scarier. Did they write about it? Oh, God. Please tell me who so I can read. All right, Chris, I'm seizing my obsession back from you. So we played the soundbite for you all. You can judge for yourself. My favorite part is when he's making fun of his own colleagues for being traumatized. But I just found this so revealing because it goes to show, like, the older journalists like they don't really believe the stuff that they're that a that they're saying in print and b that they're kind of role-playing in their offices that they won't say out loud and it does really show how phony so much of what happens in elite journalism is where people are like afraid of these uh younger people who run newsrooms and he he concludes saying these effing little dweebs who keep going on about their trauma, shut the F up. They're effing bees. I, 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 Early I, front runner for Washington Free Beacon Man of the Year, Matt Rosenberg. I, I, certainly, I certainly uh, agree with your second point. And I would also say it's not just in newsrooms. Uh, to all the hostage taken men in America who posted hashtag International, International Women's, Women's Day. Day. Oh my God! Yes. Uh, to, to all, to all of, to all of the corporate America humans out there who are like, I can't wait to Women's History Month. This is the greatest month. It's my favorite. But so, yes, like that, this that, is what that, pe- this is what like most reporters really think. And so yeah, the rest of the news media who spent January six, we should like do a flashback. Let's let's do an audio flashback of the the folks who spent January six going on about the trauma to journalists. Hit it. And we. That sounds to me like trauma. That sounds like PTSD. 
Do, do you feel like you still experience that? I do think so to a certain extent. There are definitely still reactions that I feel and I go to the Capitol on an almost daily basis. And every time that I go to the Capitol, I think about that experience that I had on January 6th. And not only that I had, but that my colleagues had, my fellow reporters, lawmakers, Capitol Police, just staffers. And it can be difficult sometimes to come to terms with that. And, and, we've, ta and we've talked about that before. And it's, you know, it, so I definitely agree with your second point. The first point and what Project Veritas is talking about here, which is that, that this reveals that the FBI, there was a blood. There's nothing that Rosenberg said that undercuts his basic reporting. So the stuff that he said about the left's overreaction and the overcoverage, absolutely, that's obviously true. And I don't, I, it, it, that the way that everything, yes, 100%, but that doesn't, that does not discredit his actual reporting or that stuff. Yes, on the newsroom culture, yes, on the kids, but Project Veritas's claims here are, are erroneous about this pointing to the problems with the FBI. Well, I, I disagree with you in one sense because the the amount of Times coverage and the amount of airtime that Times reporters have spent like talking about this on cable news is part and parcel of the left's overreaction to this. And yes, yeah, so as an internal, so this is a, a unethically sourced video that is catnip for you and me because it's an inside journalism, inside newsroom story. But in terms of Project Veritas's claim that this is like goes to, to material evidence about what happened on January 6th. No. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I, I like what he said about January 6th. I don't care about what's what he says about the coverage right. and reporters that that makes him a front runner for free vegan man of the year. And I feel, right. now that I feel icky. So let's go to our favorite thing. You, you lead by example, saying something nice. Okay, there's a really nice thing to say today, which is a heart, a heart, a hard and heartbreaking thing. But New York Times photographer Lindsay Adar Adario, working in Ukraine, and there is a picture that she has of these children who are being evacuated out of Ukraine with their teddy bear pressed up against uh, the window on a train. And it will break your heart. And good photography like this can do amazing things. And she is doing an amazing job over there. So Lindsay, Adario, wow, wow, wow. Very well done. That was the second great photo, great photo from her, right? Yeah. There was another that been, was on the front yeah. page of the paper that was really good. Yep. Really, really good. My favorite item is Fox News defense correspondent Jen Griffin bitch slapping slash backtracking some of her <laughs> Fox News colleagues, which on on Russia stuff, and we have a little montage that we'll play in a second of her doing this, but I liked it so much because, you know, Chris, we often talk about like the quote unquote good re reporters at Fox News, Brett Baer and others, but it's not very often that they actually like speak up and fact check their colleagues. They they try to keep their heads down and do their jobs, but Jen did it here. Would she... 
did a bit more than we we see from the others. Uh, so well, let's play that montage. But I have to respond to something your previous guest, uh, Brigadier General Balduck, said, because he really was way okay. off the mark in terms of talking about what the U.S. could do on the ground. And with the backdrop of what you've just said in terms of Putin has nuclear weapons, that is why the U.S. military and NATO do not have troops on the ground. In before we get started, I just heard your last guess, and I feel like I need to correct some of the things that Colonel Doug McGregor just said, because—and I'm not sure 10 minutes is enough time to do so, because there were so many distortions in what he just said, and talking about the West and NATO vilifying Putin and sounding like an apologist for Putin, and talking about how Putin—he thinks he knows how far Putin wants to go. What he just said was so distorted that I do feel that our audience needs to know the truth. And, and as you can hear, you know, for Jennifer, it's, it's hard for these producers because they know Jennifer is knowledgeable. She's well reported. She's got all the stuff. But they also know that she is going to break the narrative that the talent is might be pushing. And it was very noteworthy that I could tell the difference. I checked in on one of these anchors. It was Harris Faulkner who had had a guest on and had engaged in some speculation that was pretty pungent and that was one of the people that Jen Griffin was pushing back on. I uh, checked in on how Harris Faulkner was doing yesterday. Bloodthirsty tyrant Vladimir Putin continues. So she had gone from having to be checked by Griffin to bomb, not not literally bomb Putin, but had had gone all the way over to the other side of uh, of the road in her rhetoric. And I think Fox has, I think Jen Griffin made it impossible to, for Fox to continue down the path it was going with the confused Putin apologists and stuff like that. So kudos to her. Absolutely. That is all the time we have left for the news about the news. If you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches. Wretches.